so good to see some of you guys, see some faces this morning I haven't seen in quite a while, so that's awesome, man. Um, well, we're just going to jump right into it. Uh, my name is Matt Johnson. I'm a youth pastor here. And uh, man, there must be a football game going on or something. First service was packed out. So I don't know. Is, is there a good game going on? Is not, no? No? Yes? Who's playing? Oh, oh, right on. Cool beans. Oh, Crosstown Rivalry, right on. Um, well, we're just going to jump right into it. Um, if you missed last, um, last message, Jeff is bringing us through um, a, service, or a, a series in 1 Corinthians, and we just started it last week. Uh, I'll just hit a couple of highlights real quick to bring us up to speed on where we are. Um, but if you want to listen to that podcast, you can listen to it. Go to our website uh, that was up there, uh, livinghopedixon.com, and you can uh, listen to the podcast. Uh, but just for this morning, to bring us up to speed... Uh, just on a couple of highlights from last uh, sermon, uh, Jeff pointed out that Christ is our king, uh, and we are unified in his kingdom. And that point that Christ is our king is not just Christianese, something you know, nice, something that you'd put on a plaque and put in your home, which that would be a good thing to do, but uh, it's, it's, it is a, a big statement. Uh, in fact, at the time, a rebellious statement of saying that if Caesar's not our king, like our king is Christ. And, and it also is this, this central idea, the central theme that we're going to see throughout the book of Corinthians, uh, this letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to one of the churches that he's planted, the church in Corinth. Uh, we see in, in the beginning chapter of last week that over and over again we see Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we, we see it over and over again, and we're going to see it again this morning. Uh, the next point that was really big uh, last week was in verse 23, where uh, Paul says that Christ was a stumbling block to the Jews uh, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Uh, and basically saying that for, for the religious, for those who had the law and, and the prophecies, they were waiting for, for Jesus, they were waiting for Messiah, and when Messiah came, they didn't recognize him. There's a stumbling block to them. And to the unbelievers around them, to the non-religious Christ was just foolishness. You, you worship a guy who was killed like a common criminal? That's, that makes no sense. That's stupid. It made no sense. In verse 25, it talks about how God's wisdom is just so, so, so far beyond ours, like unattainably beyond ours. And that's what we're going to pick up this morning and the good news that's attached to that, that there's a separation we're going to look at this morning between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God and how important that is uh, for us. That point, that last point that, that Jeff put up right at the end of the service was that there are some things that can only be seen in faith. And through faith, we, we see these, these truths about God. So if you have a Bible, uh, open up to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll also have the scriptures here up on the screen. I really encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, pick one up on the way out. We have an info stand uh, right over there. And um, I, I, I just, I love having my own Bible. I've had this Bible since, oh, well, when was this given to me? Uh, by my parents in 97. So I've had this Bible for uh, many years, mental math, 20 years. And uh, I, I love having this Bible because I have highlights, I have notes. And, and even in here, I was just talking to some friends in between services. I, I've gone through different periods of my life where I'll use a different colored highlighter. And so I remember this blue highlighter was when I was living at H Street and living with three other guys and, and just digging into the scriptures of my friend George. And I remembered the conversations I was having with him just by looking at these blue highlights. So I really encourage you, get, get your own Bible, mark that thing up, put little notes in there. Uh, it, it, it's so helpful. Um, so we're just going to jump into it. First Corinthians chapter 2, uh, Paul says this, When I came to you, the people that, that he tr- uh, planted the church and when I came to you, I did not come to you with eloquence or superior wisdom. 
as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in my weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching was not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on man's wisdom, but God's power. So Paul, he's writing this letter to the church uh, in Corinth, one of the churches that he's planted around the Mediterranean uh, after Christ has uh, risen and has come to him. He was persecuting Christians and uh, zealous for God, and he believed that the Christians were heretics, and he was going around imprisoning Christians, killing Christians, and God appears to him miraculously and says, you are the one, Paul, that I have chosen to minister to the Gentiles, to minister in this area. You are persecuting me and my church. Jesus strikes him blind, is miraculously turned around, and now he is planting churches in the name of Jesus Christ, the same Jesus Christ that he was persecuting him and his believers. And so he has had a miraculous transformation, and now he's planting these churches. And in this letter to the Corinthians, he says, I didn't come to you with this grand wisdom. I didn't come to you with big, long words. I didn't come to you with all of the answers to your questions necessarily. I didn't come to you as a deep theologian. But let's remember who Paul is. Paul was a Pharisee. He was a theologian. He was, he was, he was well-versed in the laws, studied in the, in the law, would have memorized large passages of Scripture, would have debated with, 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 other, uh, with, with other Pharisees about things about the Bible. This man was knowledgeable. This man was wise. This man knew a lot. And we actually pick that up in his tone in some of his letters, like in Romans, a very deep philosophical letter. But he says here, I didn't come to you with that. No, I came to you with this simple message, the message with which you were saved. That's Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. It's really cool for us because I think oftentimes we feel like we need to have all the answers. That there's going to be times when someone's going to ask me a question and it's just going to knock me off my block and, 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 and that's just, I don't like that. In that song when we sang, No Longer Slaves to Fear, I, I think that one of the most common, most prevalent things in the church when it comes to ministry is fear of man. Fear of man. And we're afraid of either failure in letting that person down, afraid of what they're going to say to us, afraid of what we might say to them. Paul's approach to the Corinthian church was not to come in with this eloquent wisdom, eloquent knowledge, with, with all of this just mind-blowing material. He came to the Corinthian church with the simple truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is how they were saved. That was the foundation of their church. And now he's returning to remind them, hey, because we're going to see there's a lot of things going on with the Corinthian church that needs a lot of correction. But he's not going to come down on them with all of this grand wisdom. He's going to come down with the message of Jesus Christ and get them re-rooted. But that last verse that I, w- I want to look back at, because that's where we're really going to put some anchor in, in this theme of the wisdom of God, it says in verse 5, so that your faith may not rest in man's wisdom, but on God's power. He's telling the Corinthian church, our faith in Jesus Christ is not a thing of man's wisdom. It's not a thing 
of, of man's knowledge. In fact, in the chapter that Jeff brought us through last week in verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 18, it says, For the message of, cro- of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. More on that in a little bit. What I want to do now is I want to transition over to the book of Proverbs. If you've never read through the book of Proverbs, I told first service that was their reading assignment. This is your reading assignment. The whole book of Proverbs. The last time that I gave a message, I, I assigned a, a passage, I, I assigned a, a chapter. Your, your reading assignment, church, is the book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters, and in four, five, or six months out of the year, there's 31 days. So great reading plan is... The next month has 31 days of the month. Read this book, one chapter a day. It is so good. It is a book of wisdom, and it will enrich your life with knowledge and wisdom. But in chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, it says this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Now, we just talked about not being slaves to fear. What does that mean, fear the Lord? We're going to get in that in just a second. But that first verse, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If you read through the book of Proverbs, you're going to see this theme over and over and over again. Five or six times in different ways throughout the 31 chapters, it says something like this. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it will lead to destruction. There's a way that seems right to man, in the end, God judges all hearts. There's a way that seems right to man, and it's just reworded over and over and over again. And verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Shun evil. Do not be wise in your own eyes. So is this, are these passages saying that we just need to not think, that we just need to not be smart? Well, no. In fact, the beginning, the, the, the first, the prologue to, to Proverbs is talking about this book will help you gain knowledge. This, this book is all about seeking knowledge and understanding. And it says, it says to cry out for wisdom, to seek it, uh, to seek it like you're seeking for, for buried treasure. Like that's how we should be looking for wisdom. But there's this differentiation that we're seeing, what Paul is saying, and what we're seeing in Proverbs between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. That there's this, almost like they're two completely different things. Because what Paul says is that the message of the cross is foolishness. And he says in verse 5 that, that we should not be so focused on man's wisdom, that the, the, the power of God is that what we should be focusing on. Then here it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, shun evil. In Proverbs 1.7, it says, fear the, Lord. the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Or it might say in your Bible, the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? We're just going to continue to back up here. We're going to get more context, and then we're going to retract back. I want to go to Job, and then we'll come right back to that. Job, if you've never read Job, read that. Job is a man, a faithful man to God. And the story begins with, Satan coming to God and saying, I bet that I could get one of your faithful to go against you. And God goes, have you considered Job? Have, have you looked at him? And Satan goes, I can get him. I could turn him over. I, I could get him to curse you. I could get him to turn away from you. And God says, try me. 
Go for it. Try him. He'll stay faithful. And so Satan inflicts all these plagues upon him and, and takes just about everything away from him from his life. In fact, God says, you can do anything you want to Job. Just don't touch his life. You can't take his life. So Satan throws everything that he can at him, just screws his life over. I mean, he loses everything. So the majority of the book is him talking to these three friends of his who are trying to, to counsel him, uh, give him some advice, and he wrestles back, and it's this discord between them, and, and, and there's, they're just wrestling with God's will. And, and why would God do this? And, and, and you know, Job, have you sinned? What have you, you know, and there's, it's just this, this whole book about this. Well, it, towards the end of the book, God speaks to Job. Job has this moment where he cries out to the Lord, and, and God speaks to him. Now, what he says here is pretty heavy, and I love what he says. But the context to this, the scripture's not on the screen. You'll just have to listen to my, my low, squeaky voice. Um, and if you have your Bible, it's in Job 38. But God speaks to him in the middle of his heartbreak, in the middle of his devastation, in the middle of his confusion, at his lowest of lowest, this is what he speaks. It's profound. It says this. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. If God ever says that to you, buckle up. You're going to get steamrolled. God says to him, in the midst of his devastation, get this, in, in the midst of his heartbreak, in the midst of his lowest of lows, he says, brace yourself, Job. I'm coming. I'm going to ask you some questions, then you will answer me. And this is what he asks him. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Down in verse 12, he says, Have you ever given orders to the morning? Oh, I love that. Have you ever told the sun to rise? Or shown the dawn its place, that it may take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes form like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. He's telling Job, where were you when I created the universe? The earth and everything in it takes its form like clay under my seal, under my hands. I formed it. Were you there? When the angels were singing, when I formed the stars, were you there? And he goes on, he, he goes on to say, who are you? Who is my counselor? Who counsels me? Who instructs me when I created the universe? Who was there that said, hey, God, you should do this actually this way? This might sound like a really weird thing to say to someone in the, in the midst of their just being crushed, right? When someone's being crushed, Oftentimes we want to console them. We want to encourage them. We want to lift them up. God comes to Job in the midst of his devastation, and he comes to him and says, where were you when I created the universe? Where were you when I lifted something out of nothing? Where were you when I spoke and galaxies took their form? Where were you? Now, this this might sound really weird. But what I think is when we kind of connect the dots with where the verses that we were just at, it begins to unlock a little bit of why God would speak something like that to Job. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then in Proverbs 3, 7, it said to, to, to fear the Lord and to shun evil. That fear of the Lord is the, is the beginning of us understanding. When I 
need grounding. When I'm off base, when I'm not where I need to be. There's a lot of things that I, I do. Whether it's, okay, I need to pray, I need to worship, or I need to talk through something. And I'll just say that what works every time, every single time without fail, is when I walk out of my house and I look up and I see the stars and I see galaxies and I see objects that I can't even fathom. And I think, wow, God created that. And to think that there are galaxies and stars and things that are emitting light that will never even penetrate our atmosphere because the universe is going to be over before the light even gets there, yet God decided to create that. Something we'd never even see. God, in his almighty power, created everything. Everything. With intentionality and with purpose. Yet he focuses his attention and love on this tiny little insignificant blue marble. So much so, he desired for us that he made a way for us to come to him through Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about God's wisdom and and God's knowledge and his distance in that, it can be a little discouraging. We look at God and Paul, what he's saying in in verse 5, that it's not man's wisdom brings us to God. It's the, it's the power of God. It's the spirit of God. And when I talk about why that is so grounding to me, when I look up at the stars, I see the power of God. Like what Paul is talking about in that verse 5. The power of God, that he created that. And in Romans chapter 1, it even says that all creation testifies to his, his power and his glory and his majesty. It has always been proclaiming. So when Paul comes the Corinthians. He doesn't come with this persuasive argument. He comes with the fundamental, the, the, the basic truths of the gospel and the power of God because he knows it's not in the, the far-off distant reaches of, of wisdom and knowledge that t- sometimes we so desperately want to cling on to. That's not what saves us. What saves us is the power of God in Jesus Christ. Continuing on in verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden, that God destined for all glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, the, the, the rulers of the law, the, the, the teachers of the law, Paul had been one of them. He spoke to them. He rebuked them once. And he said something like this. You so earnestly seek the scriptures in hopes that you will find salvation. Yet here I am. Salvation in the flesh. And you're persecuting me. He spoke to the Pharisees and said, you so earnestly seek the texts in hopes that it will save you. But think about this, because John chapter 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, with a capital W. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 12, it says that the Word became flesh. The Word of God became flesh, Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees now. And he says, you so earnestly are seeking the Scriptures, the Word of God, in hopes that you will find salvation. 
And what he's saying is that you're, you're looking at this like I'm going to find out how I can be saved. I'm going to look into this, the text, not the word of God, not the heart of God. Because if it's just about head knowledge, it cannot save. If it's just about what we know, what we understand, it cannot save. Because why? We're going to look at that. Verse 9, it is written, No eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind is conceived, but God has prepared for those who love him. He's quoting Isaiah 40, 13 right there. Verse 10, But God has revealed it to us in his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Now, I was reading this last night, and this, these, this verse is about exploded off the page. Verse 11, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man? except that man's spirit within him. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. I'm going to reread that because it's worded a little funky. Track is so good. For who among men, you, knows the mind of a man, somebody else, except for the spirit within that man? In the same way, No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So it's saying that in the same way you can't read somebody else's mind. Who can read minds in here? Anyone can read mine? Okay, good. No liars. All right, sweet. Just the same way that you can't read someone else's mind and know their thoughts. Like you can hear their voice and you can hear the words that they're saying and and you can get to know them. But you don't know the thoughts inside of their brain. Only you. And only God. In the same way that you can only know your thoughts, only the Spirit can know God's thoughts. That's what Paul is saying. Only the Spirit of God can know the thoughts of God. Now that blew me away because of what Paul is about to say. For we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Through the Spirit, we can know the thoughts of God. Brain explosion. Through the Spirit, we can know the thoughts of God. I was wrestling with this a little bit last night because, I mean, obviously, I can read the Bible and and know things, right? But Paul's going to come and and bring some more clarity as to why that's important. But I want to I sit on that for a second, that aspect of knowing the thoughts of God. Whether it's something that you're going to the Lord in prayer in and, and you're hoping for wisdom or, or you believe that God's nudging in you in an area and you're expecting confirmation uh, or whether it's just something in applying wisdom. How do you know the thoughts of God? Well, the Bible tells us that when you enter into relationship with God, you give your life to Christ, you repent, and you come into God and and you say, I give you my life. And he says, okay, I give you my spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us that we can discern the things of God. That discernment is, is... so important in our lives, and it's, it's folded into so many different areas, that discernment in, in the everyday, those conversations with people, the discernment when you walk into a room and you say, I feel like somebody just needs prayer, that discernment when, when you're in a situation and you feel like, 
I, I, I just need to, to do this. Or even in those really inexplicable, inexplicable moments when you're driving down the road and you take the same route every single day and you just feel like, I should go this way and I don't know why. And you go that way and you encounter someone and, and you're like, I haven't seen this guy in a million years. And then you talk to them and then all of a sudden you get reunited and you're like, God was there. God was in that. That spiritual discernment. But not just that, but in the word of God. Because it says in verse 13, this is what we speak, not the words taught by human wisdom, but the words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. To get this, to get that, to get any of this, we need the Spirit of God working in our lives. We need to be submitted to the Spirit of God. One of the things that I often encounter in youth group as, as we uh, are working with teenagers is the ebb and flow of feeling close to God and not feeling close to God. And what we often encounter is that in times where you struggle with sin, you feel farther away from God. Well, in that discipleship, what we often express is that need to submit that sin to the Lord. The reality of, of the Spirit of God being opposed to the flesh. In Romans chapter 8, it says that the, that the, that the, heart, of, 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 or the, the heart of flesh, the, the carnal mind, our earthly mind, is, is at odds with the Spirit of God. It's like the same pole magnets. They just, they don't, they don't go together. They don't, they, they just don't. They're, they're at odds with each other. They are opposed to each other. The Spirit of God is what we need to understand the mind of God, the heart of God, in order to live out in the ways of God. And when we are not submitting to the Spirit, as it says in, in, in Romans 8, it says that, that the, the carnal, the, the flesh, us, aside from the Spirit, are unable to submit to the, to the Spirit. So it's this kind of crazy mathematical conundrum that in order to come to God, we need God. And once we're with God, we need God to stay with God. How does that happen? It's through Jesus Christ. It's through his sacrifice on the cross. It's through the outpouring of the Spirit that comes with that. But that doesn't make sense to the world. It doesn't make sense aside from the Spirit. As Paul is going to say here, which in my Bible, this verse is just like, I almost can't read it from all the underlining. Verse 14, it says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. They are spiritually discerned. Again, echoing verse 18 of chapter 1, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So I said we're going to come back to that. There's a man by the name of Richard Dawkins who is a genius, just super brilliant. I think he has multiple doctorate degrees. Um, he's an incredibly brilliant man. And he is one of the leading atheists in the world. He wrote the book, The God Delusion. Um, and, and he is just an incredibly brilliant man. Um, what his point is, for the longest time, has been that science has buried God. And he's one of the people that debates uh, very known uh, Christians who are scientists, Christians who are theologians and philosophers, and they debate these topics. Well, for the longest time, his position has long been that there is no 
possible evidence, empirical evidence in the universe to suggest there is an intelligent designer. That has long been his position. Well, in an interview that I watched from him, he had given a little bit of room. He said, well, I suppose through certain patterns in the universe, certain things in science, certain patterns could possibly suggest an intelligent designer. But then he followed it with this. But I could never follow the Hebrew God. I could never follow the Christian God. And the person interviewing said, well, why is that? Because he said, I, this, he said that Christians say that their God is love. But I don't think that a father who kills his son is very loving. Makes a good point. Makes a very good point. I was on the road to school the other day, heard on the news that uh, a, a dad had been arrested last week for killing his three children. That's not very loving. It's kind of the, the opposite of love, right? What Richard Dawkins is, is saying is, is he's exactly living out this 1 Corinthians reality, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is foolishness. It absolutely is foolishness. To suggest that a loving God would kill his son is foolishness. To suggest that, that, that loving and, and testing and increasing someone's faith would be to say, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. Aside from God, that's foolishness. Absolute foolishness. But through the discerning spirit, through the spirit of God, we understand that it is actually the most loving thing that a loving God could ever do. It's the closest thing to injustice he's ever done. It's the closest thing to injustice he's ever done. But it is the exact exemplification of justice. Because of our sin, we cannot come to him. Because of our sin, there is death. Because of our sin, there is hurt. Because of our sin. And God said, I will justify the people that I want to be my people. He sent his son to die for us. And in Isaiah 53, it says that it pleased God to crush his son. But Jesus said something very beautiful, very profound. And he said this. He said, no one takes my life. I lay it down on my own accord. You could not have forced him to give up his life. There's no one, no power, no force in the universe that could have forced Jesus to give up his life. Nothing. He gave it up on his own power for us. That is love. That is love. He sacrificed himself for us. You couldn't have taken him, right? The, the guards come up to Jesus and they arrest him and Jesus says, I am, and they all fell down. They just, whew, they just fell down. Right? And, and then one of the apostles takes a sword and slashes a guy's ear off. And like, Jesus is like, man, trying to do something here. And takes the ear and puts him back on the guy's head. And just like, come on, man. Like, this is sort of important. Like, all right? He gives up his life for us. That is love. To the world, that's foolishness. To us, that is love. In these last few verses of this chapter say this. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord? 
that he may instruct him. Again, kind of going back to what God says in Job. Were you there when I created the universe? Have you commanded the sun to rise in the morning, Job? No, I'm pretty sure that was me. Who's known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? This is his universe. But we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. Who has known the Lord that anyone should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That is what is so profound about what Paul is saying here. And the reality about God's wisdom is that separation between us and God because of sin and, 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 the, and the, the limited mind that we have in these bodies, the limited heart that we have in these bodies, that no matter how much we study and try and comprehend, there are just things we'll never understand. And no matter how hard we try, we still will fall. And no matter how pure we try and make our love, we still will be selfish in some ways because of sin inside these bodies. Because of that limitedness, God sent his spirit, and through the spirit, we can understand these truths. Through the Spirit, we can discern what God wants for us in our lives. And like in Romans 12, when it says, don't be a part of the pattern of the world anymore, this tug of war between the world and the Spirit of God, constantly happening throughout Scripture, constantly happening. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We don't come to God by the renewing of our mind. We come to God and he renews our mind. That's what's so profound about Christianity is that when you come to God, God's already been coming to you. He's already been chasing you. He's already been working in your life. He's already been transforming your heart. That by the time you come to him, there's no person that could have convinced you to come to God. It's just God's power in you. There's nothing that we can do to come to God other than accept and receive the free gift that he's already done for us. And in that, we find the wisdom of God. Through the Spirit, we have the wisdom of God. And I just want to put that point up there, just the one point that we have this morning, is that relying on God's wisdom is not a good idea. It's critical to our lives. You know, we have access through the Spirit to God, an all-knowing God, an all-powerful God, an all-discerning God. He shouldn't be our second choice. It's not... The good idea. I think I need some, some wisdom on this. James 1, 5 and 6 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all without finding fault. But when he asks, he should believe, not doubting, because the one that doubts is a double-minded man, tossed by the waves and the wind, double-minded in all he does. God gives wisdom when we ask it. It's not a good idea. It's what we should be doing. We should be seeking God, who gives generously. We know he's a giving God. He's given us Jesus. He's given us the Spirit. He is a giving God, and he desires to give us wisdom. I just kind of want to end with this thought. Uh, I have a friend. um, I started going back to school. I've been kind of in a Christian bubble again for, for a couple of years. Going through my Lyme treatment, I basically had like two data points, at my bed and youth group, and really there was no in between. And so I've been kind of in a Christian bubble, not interacting with uh, people who aren't Christians. And going back to school has been uh, really good for me, um, making friends who, who don't love Jesus and actually are very opposed to Christians. One of my friends, uh, who's just very opposed to Christianity, very vocal about that, 
Uh, he said something a couple of weeks ago. Um, we were just having a conversation about some things going on in the world, current events. And he said something that was just so nasty. I mean, it was, it was just so bad. And it came from the heart, too. And I was just like, hmm, it took so much in me to just bite my tongue. And, and I listened, and I listened, and I listened uh, to what he was saying. And, um, and I just told him, I said, like, you know, man, I, that's your opinion, and I disagree with you. You know? Um, and I'm still your friend, you know? And he came back to me uh, last week. And uh, after class, he, he pulled me aside. and was like, hey, man, I just want to talk to you. Like, uh, the conversation we had last week. Um, yeah, I went back and I, and I told my wife about it. And my wife was like, wow, you are a real expletive. You know, and, and, and my response to him, and I was like, I kind of don't disagree with that. Like, I'm sorry, like... <laughs> Like, after what you said, like, that's really messed up, you know? And, um, well, we talked it through, and, uh, and we kind of made amends there, and, and I was able to share with him a little bit about why I believe what I believe, uh, and, and just, you know, why I wouldn't say that about certain people, you know, and where I was coming from, and why I disagree with that. And it was really awesome. Uh, I really didn't think that I would come around to having the conversation with him. Um, and what he said to me after that was, you know, you're like the first Christian I've ever met who wasn't a total expletive, you know, and um, what that made me think of is that I think that there's a lot of people who've met a lot of Christians without encountering Christ, and um, we as Christians have an incredible responsibility to show the world the power of God, not to come to the world with all of the answers in of our own self. That's why we have to be so reliant on the Spirit. I was prayerful in that conversation. I was prayerful in the previous conversation because I, I didn't know what to say. I probably didn't even say the best thing. And that's not even what mattered. What mattered is that God was doing something in his heart. And so if there's someone in your life that, that you just desire for them to come to the Lord, and maybe you've been praying for them, and I just encourage you to continue to pray for them because there's nothing that you can say that will convince them. There's nothing that you can say to me that can convince me. It is just the power of God. Paul said it like this. He said, I could plant the seed. Someone else could water the seed. But no one can make it grow. Only God. Only God. Our responsibility is to plant that seed. Our responsibility is to water that seed. It's God's job to make it grow. So be prayerful. Be in the Spirit. If we rely only on our own understanding, it's not going to go well. We really, really, really want to do the right thing. I think the majority of us really want to do the right thing. And that can push us to just make it all about our effort. And that's a, a dangerous line to be walking on. Seek God. Be seeking his wisdom through the Spirit. It's there for you. Let's pray. Father, um, we just thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you desire to give uh, Lord, you, in your infinite wisdom, Lord, know uh, the paths for us in which we should go in our lives. Um, and so, God, I just pray, uh, Lord, over this group this morning that, um, that you would teach us how to seek you. Um, God, it's so easy to desire you and, and, and really not know where to go. Uh, Father, draw us to your word. God, instruct us in your word. Teach us through your word. 
Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that, that has been interested uh, more in you and, and, and curious about you, Father, because you've been doing a work in them, Lord, I pray that you just draw them this morning. Father, that you show them the love of a heavenly Father that you truly show us. And God, I pray that we would not just be merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. God, give us that love that only you can love and through us. God, we love you. We ask for your wisdom this morning. In Jesus' name.